You can turn with me to our sermon text for today then, which is Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. I'm going to read it in portions because it is a long chapter. I'll begin by reading the first 13 verses. You'll remember that Joseph is in Egypt. Uh, He had been mistreated by his brothers, being sold into slavery, sold then as a slave in Egypt. And then in the house of Potiphar, uh, was tempted by Potiphar's wife, was then falsely accused as he remained steadfast and cast into prison unjustly. And then there, as he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the, uh, the bread maker, the baker, um, that he had a hope of being remembered, of the cupbearer mentioning him to Pharaoh, and yet the cupbearer forgot him. And so he remained in prison uh, as of the last chapter. So let's go ahead and pick up then in Genesis 41. I'll be reading again for now, verses 1 through 13. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream." So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for revealing to us your will, for interpreting to us the message that you would have us to receive, that we might believe in you, and knowing what we ought to believe concerning you, and also knowing how we ought to then fulfill our duty before you, to serve you, to love you, to express our gratitude to you. We pray that you would make your word effectual to these ends this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In these first 13 verses, we have the setup of what is about to take place 
It's been two whole years, two complete years. Perhaps it's even on Pharaoh's birthday again, at least around that time of year, that uh, Pharaoh, uh, that Joseph has been in prison, and it's been two years since he had that hope of being released. And for that hope then to be disappointed, for him to be forgotten, was probably, well, was most certainly a harder trial than if the cupbearer had never been there. To have his hopes raised up and then dashed and then wait two more years. And it seemed that he would never be remembered. But after two years pass, Pharaoh has a dream. And the dream troubles him. Uh, He doesn't realize it's a dream until he wakes up. Behold, it was a dream. It was a very vivid dream. He was in the dream and was convinced that there was a meaning behind it. He asked the magicians, the wise men, uh, just as, uh, as are similar to how Nebuchadnezzar would, would seek meaning for his dreams when he was distressed. Well, here Pharaoh does not receive a satisfactory answer from the people whose job it was, from the magicians, from the wise men, uh, the, the elders of Egypt. But then the chief cupbearer, remember his offenses. Now, Pharaoh might think that he's speaking of his offenses against Pharaoh, but he might also be thinking of his offense against Joseph for having forgotten him all this time. But finally, he did bring Joseph to remembrance that Joseph had not only interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, but they had both been true. Now, he was a, a proven uh, prophet in this regard, that uh, his interpretations not only matched the dreams, but also were fulfilled. Maybe this man, maybe this young Hebrew, would be able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Now, we learn even from this introduction uh, that there is wisdom in God's providence, that It was a trial for Joseph to be forgotten these two more years, and yet in having him forgotten for these two years, he would be brought to remembrance at a time in which he would not only be released, but in which he would also be brought before Pharaoh and to be raised and exalted and put in a position where he would actually meet his brothers. That's getting into the next chapter. But all this comes together in God's providence as he weaves these events together God himself being the one who sent this dream. Learn also the importance of patience, to be patient as Joseph had to be patient because he was left there waiting for the accomplishment of the dreams that he himself had received. He had heard of what was going to happen. He had expectations, and yet it would be according to God's timing and not his. He would have to endure, to wait to not give up. So what's going to happen? Let's read verses verses 14 through 36, where Joseph now speaks to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and ugly and thin, sorry, very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the good, the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and let him set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. In these verses, Joseph stands before the king, and he speaks to the king, He interprets the dreams, yes, but also he gives glory to God, and he also advises Pharaoh on how to use the knowledge that he has been given. He gives wise counsel. So first of all, though, he glorifies God. In verse 16, it's not in me. It's not in me. God is the one who will give Pharaoh an answer. He points away from himself, just as he did in prison. So he does in the palace. It was God's word that he was to deliver and was not something that Joseph would be credited for. Learn from Joseph's example to glorify God before men, uh, to point to the living God who has spoken and has revealed his will to mankind, that God's word is our wisdom in the sight of the peoples. That's what God, through Moses, told the people in Deuteronomy. If you hear these words and observe them, they will be your wisdom in the sight of the people. What God, uh, what people has laws so just as this people? Uh, God's word is our wisdom in the sight of the people. And we should make that known, that 
These words, assuming that it is God's words that we're talking about, are the Lord's, and it is not in us. Do not be ashamed of God even before kings. Do not be ashamed of God's word before kings. When you, if you are put up in, in the uh, state capital or in some important position in, in our society and you are testifying, uh, you might be tempted to, to be secular even as the world is secular around you. And yet when the time comes, do not be ashamed of God's word, of speaking of him in a world that does not recognize him. Pharaoh certainly did not recognize the true God of the Hebrews, the true God of the world. And yet, Joseph glorifies God by giving him the glory for this message. Direct others to God and his word as the source for wisdom and insight. And give glory to God for the gifts he gives, the gifts of his Holy Spirit, the gifts you have been given by him. What do you have that you have not received as a gift? But then Joseph uses that gift. He interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Now, we have this dream given twice. We had the dream given initially in the third person, kind of objectively like Pharaoh saw it, but this time jo- that Pharaoh is telling it, and you get his reaction to it. Not only does he see the ugly cows, but he's like, these are the ugliest cows I've ever seen. And when they swallowed up the good cows, you didn't even tell that, that they were eaten. The ugly cows were just as th- thin and scrawny as they had been before they ate these plump, fat cows. You would expect them to look a little healthier after eating all of that, but no, they are, that, that's distressed Pharaoh. You hear that in his own words as he describes it. Well, Joseph interprets the dreams, and he speaks of how the seven good cows, the seven good uh, heads of grain are the seven years of plenty that were to come. And then after that, there would come seven years of famine, that the waters of the Nile would fall and would not cause the land to flourish, and the grain would be scorched and would not bear. And you know how those scrawny cows were just as scrawny and ugly after they ate the seven good cows? Well, those seven years of plenty will not be remembered. The times will be so bad. You had bad times that make all those good times that you've had be forgotten. These are the bad years that were coming upon Egypt. They would swallow up the seven years that were to be given. But notice importantly, twice it says that God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Who was doing these things? Who was sending the plenty and who was sending the famine? God was doing these things. God was saying what he was going to do. Not just that God could look through time and see where things were headed by the mechanical laws that he had set up and, and as a disinterested party telling him what he foresaw, but he's telling Pharaoh what he's about to do. He can tell the future because he's going to do the future. He has ordained it. He has planned it. And he will work it out by his hand of providence. God is in control of the rains and the rivers. It's of his mercy that mankind receives any food and is able to live and prosper on this earth. That's an apologetic for God's mercy and goodness that he's even great 
even good to the ungrateful and the wicked and the idolaters, that he gives them many good things that makes their heart glad. But he also sends famine, which is more of what mankind deserves. God is sovereign over the welfare of the nations, and so we should heed his prophets. We should heed the word of the one who controls all things, the one who ordains and is sovereign over all things. God had revealed this by the dream and by sending his prophet, Joseph. God could foretell the future because he had ordained the future and would bring it to pass, working all things according to the counsel of his will. His purpose would stand. God has given you revelation in his word. God spoke to Pharaoh. God has spoken to you by giving you 66 books, a lot of words. He's given you scripture. He does not necessarily telling you what's going to happen in the next 14 years. He doesn't give you that precise information. But he gives sufficient direction to you. He reveals you his will, his purposes, his promises, his threatenings, that, that you might learn what God is doing and what he would have you to do. The sovereign Lord who has ordained the future, who works all things, has given you revelation. And his word is relevant even to kings and rulers. He sent these dreams to Pharaoh. He didn't send them to, to Potiphar. He didn't send them to Joe Schmo, although Joe Schmo needs God's word too. But it was relevant even to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh needed to care for his people. And God would give him his word that he might govern in wisdom. Kings and rulers needs God's word too, that they might govern their kingdoms in the light of God's word for the good of their people. Now, not only did Joseph interpret the dream, but he also gave wise counsel on how to use God's word. If you hear God's word, it's not just, oh, that's interesting, that satisfies my curiosity, maybe I can, you know, speculate on that a little bit, and then go on and do everything else. No, it should be used, should be, as the Puritans would say, improved. Improve God's word. How can you improve it? It's perfect, right? Well, yes, it's perfect, but you should make good use of it. Joseph then says, well, if this is going to happen, well, let Pharaoh pick someone who's wise and discerning and overseers and gather up food now so in the years of plenty so that in the years of famine you won't starve. Uh, God does not reveal his word just for idle speculation but so that you might live in the light of it. Joseph's wisdom was demonstrated when he planned to provide for the future to make use of the prosperity and the knowledge they had been given. So also, wisely make use of God's word. When you hear or read God's word, consider how you might live your life in the light of what you have learned. The doctrines and the warnings and the promises and the prophecies of Scripture are given so that you might act upon them by faith. Why did he tell Pharaoh these things? So that they might prepare and live. Why did he tell Nineveh of the impending judgment that he threatened upon them so that they might repent. Why has he revealed his will in Scripture that you might walk in his ways in wisdom and faith and in righteousness? So wisely make use of God's word. 
Joseph speaks to Pharaoh, gives glory to God, interprets the dream, gives wise counsel. How does Pharaoh respond? Let's read verses 37 through 45. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh promoted Joseph. Pharaoh exalted Joseph. He made him the the second in command, the we might call him the prime minister or the the vizier of Egypt. It was a station which we know from Egyptian archaeology that we could actually vividly imagine what this looked like because it's painted on walls in Egypt, this sort of thing. Um, And there were even foreigners in Egypt sometimes promoted to this position. Um, It's very plausible, of course, though it's in God's word too. So, of course, it is a true event. What is surprising about it is that it's this guy who was a minute ago in the pit in the prison, who is exalted to this high position. He is that wise and discerning man who had, of course, demonstrated that wisdom in answering what all the wise men and magicians of Egypt had failed to do. We see several things, that there's several meanings we might find behind this exaltation. First of all, God gave Joseph relief from his trials. God is compassionate Joseph had suffered much. He had waited long. He had endured injustice, mistreatment, affliction, and yet he was not left in that condition forever. There seemed no hope of anything changing, and yet then things changed. Overnight, or over day, uh, he was made only second to Pharaoh himself. God was compassionate. In James 5, he exhorts the people of God to be patient. There, he uses examples of, he doesn't name Joseph by person, but he's probably thinking of people like him. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. In verse 10, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You have seen where Job's story ends. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. He did not seek to 
utterly crush Job, though he sent many trials and took everything away from him. Yet God remained compassionate and merciful. You've seen people like Joseph too, who was patient in trials, who was steadfast and was blessed. We consider them blessed who remain steadfast. And we see the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so that's an exhortation to you as well. We don't know what that looks like in each person's life, but we can know for sure that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We find that demonstrated in this passage. He's compassionate by looking upon the affliction of Joseph. Even as he had looked upon Leah and Rachel, as he had looked upon the affliction of Hagar, as he had looked upon the affliction of others throughout Scripture, and as he would look upon the people of Egypt as they were in bondage in Egypt years later. The trials do not last forever. Secondly, we find that God is faithful to his promises. What had he promised Abraham? He had promised that I will bless you and I will make you a blessing and that in you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We see that manifested in these deeds. That Joseph is blessed, certainly. God was with him throughout, and so he had been blessed all along. But he's also blessed in this relief from trials. But not only for his own sake. He has made a blessing to others. He has made a blessing even to the nations. At least in an earthly way, that through him, the nations would not perish. That both Egypt and the surrounding world would be sustained. And so Joseph was made a blessing. We also find that God was providing for his people. Psalm 105 105 says that when God broke the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead already. God had prepared for his people. He would not see the children of Abraham snuffed out by this famine, but would provide for them their daily bread. How? By sending Joseph on ahead and exalting him in this way and warning Pharaoh through Joseph that his covenant people, his church, would be sustained. That's the apple of his eye. That's what he cares, although he's merciful to all, that he sustains his church through the, his providential work among the nations, and he exalted Joseph for their good. Also, we find at the same time, again, God has lots of purposes behind what happens in history. It's not just one reason. God also got glory over the wisdom of Egypt. All those magicians and Uh, Servants of false gods were mystified, were unable to explain, but the true God put them to shame and demonstrated his wisdom by interpreting the dream, by giving wise counsel through Joseph. God himself was exalted in the eyes of the great and mighty through this weak servant, Joseph. Even Pharaoh gave credit to the Spirit of God in Joseph. He doesn't say merely this is a wise man, but he says who has the Spirit of God like this man. And so Joseph was elevated, as the Psalms say, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. A servant of God was put as the instructor then of the elders of Egypt. The true God triumphed where the wise men of Egypt were powerless. God humbles the wisdom of this world. God gives his gospel, which is foolish in the eyes of the world, and then he 
puts to shame the wisdom of this world, which is not able to know God. And to those who receive it, the gospel is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Lastly, at least lastly of what I have here, as far as the meaning of this exaltation, it was a type, it was a foreshadowing of the exaltation of Christ and his people with him. As Matthew Henry puts it, it was typical of the exaltation of Christ. The brightest glories of the upper world are put upon him. The highest trust is lodged in his hand, and all power is given to him both in heaven and earth. He is gatherer, keeper, and disposer of all the stores of divine grace and chief ruler of the kingdom of God among men. The work of ministers is to cry before him, bow the knee, kiss the sun. Even as Joseph was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh to oversee the kingdom and to gather bread for the life of the world, so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh as our mediator, was exalted at the right hand of God himself, not just Pharaoh, to be ruler of not just Egypt, but all the world, to rule, to have all bow the knee before him and to seek life from him. Christ was despised and mistreated, given over to death and the pit, but he was raised up from death itself, not by Pharaoh, but by his father, and given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then though his church is persecuted and despised among men, we have been seated with Christ, and God will vindicate and advance his church, even from the deepest times of distress, and set it on high, and the glory of the Lord will shine upon you, and kings and nations will come to the brightness of your rising, that God will exalt his church as a way to spread his message of salvation to the nations. Well then, what does Joseph do once he gets into this position? Let's finish the chapter by reading verses 46 through 57. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. What did Joseph do? He got to work. 
He received exaltation, high office and honors, and he got to work and fulfilled his office. You know, some people would just bask in the praises of the people. After all, he had, he had earned it, right? He had gone through a lot of strife and trouble. Is that the way he thought of it? Now I can relax. I'm going to sit in the pool and soak it all in and take it a little easy now that I've reached prosperity and riches. No, he's, it says, he went out over all the land. He got to work. He gathered up. He had seven years to prepare. He maintained his habits. He did not slacken his pace. He was diligent to work to provide for the future, to make best use of the time, redeeming the time. You know, endurance is necessary in both hardship and in prosperity. That same virtue of steadfastness, of perseverance. Joseph did not fall apart when he was oppressed, nor when he was exalted. He demonstrated the same endurance. He pressed on. He was diligent. Just as he was diligent at his father's house, he was diligent in Potiphar's house, he was diligent in prison, and he was diligent over all Egypt. What are your duties? What have you been entrusted with? What is your office, your, your duties? Do not rest on the laurels of your past achievements and victories, but receive any success, any promotion as a greater responsibility, greater scope of usefulness, greater ability to use your gifts and talents for the good of even more people, as Joseph did. And if you're struggling, if you're in the trial, do not think that if you achieve success, if you get out of this trial, then endurance isn't going to be necessary anymore. Then you can relax and and get lazy. Uh, no, the, the virtues of self-control and diligence and steadfastness ought to be cultivated where you are, for they always will be necessary. Hopefully they become more natural to you, but they will always be necessary, even if you're elevated beyond your wildest dreams, especially if you're elevated beyond your wildest dreams. So Joseph got to work. Joseph was also blessed with children and his work was blessed. God made him fruitful. Fruit of the womb, fruit of the field. And who did Joseph give credit for his prosperity? He gave God. Everything that Joseph says, God comes out of his mouth. He's talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, how shall I do this sin against God? He talks to the the people in prison. He says, you know, God will, will answer your dreams. He speaks to Pharaoh. He says, God is the one who will give you an answer. He names his children, and he says, God has made me forget all my hardship. Then he says, God has made me fruitful. We don't have hardly any words from him that he's not talking about what God has done or what God will do. He gives God glory for consoling him, for helping him to forget the, not this time forgetting the prosperity, but forgetting his hardships, being able to move past it, settling into his new position. That's the goodness that he had received, the relief he had received, made him forget all his hardship. And not only that, but even in his land of affliction, that God had made him fruitful, having even two sons born to him. God is compassionate and merciful. He comforted Joseph, and Joseph gave thanks. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So trust in the mercy of God. 
whether here or in glory, he will give rest and relief so that your misery and your affliction and your tears are forgotten. God was also compassionate to the world. Death is what the world deserves. Food is given by his mercy. And he sent Joseph on ahead even to give food to the world. Joseph imitated his father's mercy by also seeking the good of even unbelievers, even the ungrateful. God was faithful to his promises, providing food for his people, but also giving children to Joseph. Joseph's line would not be cut off. The children of Abraham would not be cut off. Ephraim and Manasseh would become tribes. So God will sustain his people today and add to his church those who are being saved. And as the famine hit, not only Egypt, but all the world, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. Go to Jesus. Whatever he says, do. It's just what Mary said concerning Jesus, right? Whatever he tells you, do. Go to him. He has the food. Joseph was a type of the one to come, Jesus Christ, who would give his own flesh as the bread of life to the world. As John 6 says, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let all people come to Jesus Christ and obtain the bread of life that they might live and not die. That they might not perish, but have everlasting life. So God is compassionate and merciful. He is sovereign over all. He guides all things by his providence, good and evil. He has given us his word that we might live wisely and godly before him. Let's give glory to him. Serve our neighbors. He not only exalted Joseph in Egypt, but he has exalted the Son of God in heaven above to his right hand that all nations might bow before him and receive from him the bread of eternal life. So like Joseph, glorify God. Make known his word. Use it with wisdom. Hold fast in trials. And fulfill your duties with diligence, whether high or low. And like him, give thanks to God for his blessings and his consolation. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give thanks to you for your mercy and faithfulness, that you are with us through thick and thin You have made a solemn covenant through your Son, Jesus Christ, with us, that you might be our protector and Savior, and that we might be your people. We pray that you would help us to remain steadfast, to look to your mercy with a faith that endures. We pray that you would make us instrumental for the good of our neighbors, even a saving good that you might be glorified and others saved, both from earthly suffering and death as well as from spiritual death. We pray, Father, that you would care for your people, even as you did in days of old. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.